This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. So it should be a pretty smooth ride to the finish line, especially as far as the budget goes. The second funnel deadline has passed and the Iowa legislature is in the home stretch. We're going to continue to work on that over the interim and talk about what that looks like and hopefully we can, we will get that passed next year. New challenges have led to new proposals. Uh, the danger right now is that people will vote with their feet and leave the area or leave Iowa. The final month of the 2019 Iowa Legislature is our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. It's now been a week since the second so-called funnel deadline established by the Iowa General Assembly, by which unless a bill made certain progress through each chamber, it was no longer eligible for consideration this session. Budget bills are not subject to that rule, but it helps to shape the discussion for the remaining month of the session. Aaron Murphy is Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises, and he told me this past Monday there were a few surprises about what did not make it through the funnel. There were a few, um, and, and maybe more so than you might have expected when you have um, a state capital that's under unified party control. Republicans have the governor's office and majorities in, in both chambers, and there were some, some fairly big bills that, that didn't survive this past funnel, and it starts with the biggest one, um, the governor's proposal for a constitutional amendment to restore um, voting rights to felons once they've completed their sentence. Um, so currently, Iowa is one of just two states in the country where um, when a felon is released from prison, he or she has to petition the governor directly to have his or her voting rights restored. Um, governor Reynolds has proposed changing that by a constitutional amendment, um, and that has run into some resistance uh, among uh, Republican legislators. Um, there's some concerns about... Um, just giving those rights back in a, in a blanket way. They want to have a discussion about adding some requirements, whether it's, um, you know, that they be paid up on fines or that maybe there's a year in between before they get their voting rights back or, or maybe there's some certain crimes that are exempted. Um, they want that conversation first, and that conversation didn't happen. So when it came to the deadline to pass the proposed constitutional amendment, there wasn't enough support uh, to pass it, and, and that was a big one that died. Um, a few other ones, um, the, uh, the Senate had done some bills regarding um, work requirements for Medicaid recipients. Um, there were a couple of big abortion bills that, that didn't survive. One that, again, would be a constitutional amendment um, uh, stating that the Constitution does not specify the, an individual's right to an abortion. Um, that didn't pass. Um, another one um, that was amended uh, uh, during floor debate to give some legal protections to um, a fetus if, in, in the case of, of, a, of a mother's death, and, and, and that one didn't survive. Um, so, so some fairly big, um, interesting uh, bills that, um, you know, on some issues that normally you would think uh, conservatives are, are able, would be able to rally around and, and keep moving. And, and for various reasons, they didn't pass this year. Now they could come, uh, every one of those, they can come back and try again next year. It'll be the same crew. Um, um, maybe, maybe some minds change. Maybe they approach things a little differently. They could give another swing at them. But for this year, it looks like those ones are, are off the table. 
For her part, Governor Kim Reynolds told me she's still confident the felon voting rights measure will pass. Disappointed on felon voting. Timeline hasn't changed. We knew it was going to be a three-year process. Uh, we had great, great support coming out of the House, but even when they did that, they said there needs to be a statute. There needs to be some exemptions. Murder, for instance, uh, what degree? So that's some of the com conversations that we need to have. I, I agree with that. You know, I think there are some exceptions that need to be a piece of this. So we're going to continue to work on that over the interim and talk about what that looks like, and hopefully we can, we will get that passed next year. So in the meantime, you know, we've expedited the process. We're having a lot of people that I think are finding it simpler and easier to um, uh, put in that request. And so we're going to continue to work on that and then do what we can to get legislators um, the answers that they're looking for. The extensive flooding in western Iowa has led those in both parties to search for answers. Rob Hogue is a Democrat state senator from Cedar Rapids who co sponsored a series of measures. Senator uh, Jackie Smith from Sioux City and I got to visit the flood uh, zone on uh, end of March. And out of that process, we identified some things that the state could do immediately to help. And, and remember, the federal government has a major role to play in this, so the state doesn't need to do anything, but we know from experience that there are things we need the state to do. And people really do need immediate help right now. I mean, this is serious flood damage. Uh, it's not affecting as many people as, say, the flood of 2008, but it is uh, large damage, significant damage for a lot of people, and we need to act. And people also need hope coming out of a disaster like this, which means they need a vision that we're going to rebuild and it's going to be safer and stronger than before. So that's the goal. So we have uh, six specific proposals, uh, one of which we've offered on the on the floor that we've got a vote on the amendment on. Uh, we've got a couple others that we filed as amendments, but here's here's what we're hoping to do. Number one, you got to keep businesses and farms going uh, while they cope with this significant disaster, or you're going to lose those businesses or the farms are going to be lost. So we have a farm and small business grant proposal that would take $10 million out of the state's ending balance. We have $190 million in our ending balance take 10 million of that for grants uh, to try to get farms and businesses to keep going uh, until they can get to larger assistance later uh, from either the state or the federal government. Second, we do want to expand the amount of money that's available for larger businesses. There are a few large businesses that have been flooded. They are already eligible for some of the state's economic development programs, so we want to make sure that we carve out money or have specific additional money for them. Third, cities, counties, and nonprofits have some unique challenges. And one of the things we did out of 2008 that really worked well was making sure that a city or a county or a nonprofit could do something more than what FEMA would help them with. Uh, so let's say FEMA says, here's the dollars to rebuild like you were, but they want to rebuild better. That's where state dollars can come in. So we've got a proposal for a $10 million revolving fund uh, for cities, counties, and nonprofits. Uh, fourth, we've got to do better on the flood hazard mitigation side. We've had a program in place in 2012 that we've never appropriated state money to called the Iowa Flood Hazard Mitigation Program. Some bigger communities have been able to use that with a sales tax retention funding mechanism. 
but we we also create a grant program to help smaller communities that maybe didn't have the same sales tax base. So we're proposing we put $24 million in a flood hazard mitigation so that communities can identify specific flood hazards going forward. This is part of rebuilding safer. Final two provisions relate to uh, making sure we have the resources for our state agencies to understand what actually caused the flood of 2019. So a, a flood study along with some ongoing funding for the Iowa Flood Center and uh, the Department of Natural Resources Flood Planning Program. So those are the proposals uh, that Senator uh, Jackie Smith of Tuesday and I have put out there. And they are all areas where we're not duplicating what the federal government does with FEMA and with the Small Business Administration. These are uh, programs that wouldn't duplicate those efforts and really fill uh, the gap in federal assistance so that people in these areas have the confidence to know the state's going to support them in their rebuilding effort. If they don't have that confidence, uh, the danger right now is that people will vote with their feet and, and leave the area or leave Iowa. And, uh, and, and, you know, we don't want that to happen out of, out of disasters. We want people to know that we value them as islands. We want them to stay here. We want them to rebuild. And we need to provide that vision and that hope that we're going to rebuild safer and stronger than before. Note that these are proposed amendments to pending pieces of legislation or are otherwise not subject to the funnel rules. The governor indicated she'll release her own plan soon. Once again, Cedar Rapids Democrat Senator Rob Hogue. I'm really hopeful that she has something significant and substantial. Uh, I know that uh, then-Senator Reynolds uh, was in the Senate in 2009 uh, when we passed uh, disaster relief legislation and, and hazard mitigation legislation in 2009 and 2010. So I'm hopeful that she'll come up with something uh, significant and uh, substantial and, and really provide the leadership that our state needs right now. I spoke with Senator Rob Hogue this past Thursday midday. Later that same day, I met with Governor Kim Reynolds, who addressed what the state can do concerning the devastation in western Iowa. Yeah, I think one of the things that the state can do is to really fight to streamline the process and coordinate the recovery efforts. Uh, I, you know, we've done a pretty good job in the short term of really assessing what the damage is, working with our emergency manager coordinators all in the areas that have been impacted. We were able to gather the information in about a 48-hour time frame and submit a um, application for a expedited disaster presidential declaration. We were able to get that in 48 hours. I've had a meeting with the Corps with three other governors. Governor from Kansas was not able to make it, but Parsons and Ricketts were there to start to work with the Corps to see what we do in the short term and what the long-term objectives are. Our message was to make sure we do this in a in a from a regional perspective that we really streamline the process that we look at ways we can do things differently we can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results um, as well as really thinking about uh, this is devastation that's happened to the levees up and down uh, the western side of the state and so anything that we do that's temporary has to be made permanent so I met with all of the levy district trustees on Monday with DNR, DOT, Homeland, um, and the Corps again to just talk about how we strategically make move forward and how we coordinate the coordinate the efforts, see what the federal government is responsible for, the different buckets that it goes in, but the state has a role too. So to your question, finally, I just want you to know there's a lot of stuff that's been put in place that um, in any of the 
funding that we get from the federal level, there's a cost share, and so it's either like a 75-25 match, 90-10. State has and, and local governments has some responsibilities to that, and so we want to make sure that we can start the progress, start the recovery, and then wait for the federal dollars to come in. So we'll be doing making an announcement next Monday at the press conference on what we're going to do moving forward and what we'll be asking the legislature to do as far as funding. And obviously the Democrats in the Senate have a plan and that they're calling on you to do something. Do you think there's going to be some commonality when we hear everything on Monday? Yeah, you know, it's so we've got two years, two months left basically in this fiscal year and then we're into fiscal year 20 and we have to be strategic and coordinated in how we move through this. And so I need to uh, figure out what the Corps is going to be able to do, what we need to do in the interim to make sure that we can start the levy process to make sure there's four major breaches that that we're starting with because there's still water coming in. We have to get them stopped. This core has money, existing money to be able to plug the hole basically. And then we need to talk about re repair and how we move forward. But in the interim, there are ag levies that aren't certified, le certified core levies that we can be working with our communities to start the recovery process so that people feel confident in moving back into the communities. Businesses have some certain certainty that you know they're gonna be protected and we're not uh, gonna be redoing this in a couple years. So we want to do it right. We want to do it in a coordinated fashion. We want to be innovative about it and we want to really challenge uh, the uh, federal agencies to move in a, in, a, in a faster manner. There are a number of other items that have made it through the funnel. Again, Aaron Murphy of Lee Enterprises. Two in particular, I'm really interested to see what happens with um, the bill that would uh, allow utilities to apply a fee for solar users, um, uh, and that fee would be for upgrades on infrastructure. Um, um, that one has uh, created a lot of strong opinions on both sides. We've actually got TV advertising going on um, over that bill. Um, so that one is did pass the funnel. Um, it passed the full Senate, has not yet passed the House floor. So that's going to be an interesting to watch and see if that uh, – uh, gets to the governor, um, and to my real recollection, and, and uh, to all your listeners, forgive me if I'm wrong on this, but I don't believe she has weighed in on that strongly one way or the other, um, so we're not sure where the governor lands on that. Um, and another big one that would have a, a, could have some big impacts is this um, uh, package of election law um, changes. Um, um, it started in the House with a very simple absentee ballot barcode proposal, um, which was in response to the special election, or I'm sorry, the regular election from this last November um, that was super close. There were a few absentee ballots that didn't have the right barcode. Turns out they were submitted on time, but because they had the wrong barcode, they couldn't be counted. Um, and it was 20-some uh, ballots in a, in a race that was decided by nine votes. Um, so they came up with a proposal on the House side um, to make that consistent across the state comes over to the Senate and uh, Senator Robbie Smith from Davenport has some bigger ideas about some um, election law changes and, and suddenly the bill got um, tenfold bigger. Um, there's a number of different things in there um, uh, giving uh, the Secretary of State more authority to come in and oversee um, the elections processes and, and, and recounts. Um, asking college students to say whether they're going to remain in Iowa and if after graduation, and if they're not, they get taken off the voter rolls. Um, just a bunch of different little things, uh, but all kind of add up to a, a pretty big 
bill. So that's another one that's going to be uh, really interesting to watch. Um, and then uh, the, the, the other thing we haven't seen at all yet, but we know is coming, is some kind of proposal on taxes, um, uh, whether it's income tax reduction or some way of addressing property tax. We're likely to see something, especially from Senate Republicans. Um, I assume that'll be popping here sooner than later as, as we've kind of started the, the um, unofficial countdown to the session now now that we're at this point where um, we're we're just left with the bills that survived the funnel and and the budget work really starts to uh, gear up here. Aaron Murphy, Des Moines bureau chief for the Lee Enterprises newspapers. When we come back, a conversation with the Iowa Speaker of the House. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. Linda Upmeyer is a Republican representative from Clear Lake who serves as Iowa Speaker of the House. We spoke about the session recently in her office just behind the House chamber in the state capitol in Des Moines. Well, as expected, I was excited uh, to make sure we got the education funding done in the first 30 days. You know, we promise that to educators, and we always hold our breath every year, but we've become a little more confident in our ability to do that. So I was glad that was done and followed up then with SAVE uh, here recently. So uh, really pleased and gotten good feedback from our schools about that. One of the things that I'm a little surprised about is how far along on the budgets we are. Uh, this year, uh, you know, we've got a little more reliability in our revenue. So some years we kind of hold our breath to the middle of March and make sure that we can actually do the, the budgets that we're hoping we can do. This year we came in with more confidence in, in the revenue and uh, decided early on let's get these budgets going. We don't have to wait till the very end. So I've been really pleased with um, uh, the, the vigor that the, some of the new subcommittee chairs uh, have been really digging in because we're not waiting till the last minute. They're digging into the budgets, they're talking to a lot of people, getting a lot of input, and making really good decisions, in my opinion, on how to fund the priorities of Iowans. And uh, so I'm excited about that. All of the governor's uh, priorities made it out of committee. And so we're still talking about those. That's always a good sign. She's done a great job. And uh, some members want to make sure that they're giving 
uh, due diligence to all of our priorities. So I think that's very positive. Obviously, the revenue numbers that came out last week were a little softer, but yet within the level of tolerance that it did not require anyone to have to drastically change things, and certainly no reversions this year. That's exactly right, it, and uh, I can't tell you how tired everyone is, both the recipients and the uh, and the people that have to vote on those uh, decisions, that we don't have to make those this year. And you're right, it was a little, a little bit softer in a couple of areas. Uh, but, but we uh, built our budgets based on utilizing, oh, about 97.5% of ongoing revenue. So we are well below uh, the threshold that we would need to make any kind of adjustments. Most gratifying thing now for you in this job, I think when we spoke the last time you had been in it one year and looking ahead to another session, at this point, what drives you to find this to be very rewarding work? Oh, the, the talent of the new legislators that Iowans send us. Every, you know, every two years uh, when we meet these new people, when they come uh, into the chambers after these uh, elections, I am just blown away by how talented they are and how much energy they have and uh, just how how committed they are to serving Iowans. And every year I think this is the best This is the best group ever. And then two years later, they send another best group ever. But uh, Iowans do a pretty darn good job of electing people that bring their, uh, their concerns and their, and their thoughts to the state capitol. Uh, they're every, everybody out there is working on behalf of their district, it, it seems to me. And uh, that's, that's what keeps me doing this. I'm so excited to watch that happen. Madam Speaker, thank you for the time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Clear Lake Republican Linda Upmeyer, the Speaker of the Iowa House of Representatives. The per diem expense money for lawmakers runs out May 3rd. That's the target for adjournment for the year. And that brings us to the close of this week's program, the 250th in our series. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.